good morning. Um, if you got a Bible this morning, go to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, and no, we're not having a wedding this morning. Last week, um, Jason spoke about the, about the gifts of the Spirit. Not last week. That was the week before. Two weeks ago, uh, Jason spoke about the gifts of the Spirit. And in the context of the gifts of the Spirit is this chapter called um, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And if you go down to verse 4, um, we're going actually in a much different direction than I expected to this morning. And in verse 4, it says this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of wrong. In our culture today, though, we have changed this. And instead of saying love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, jealous not as boastful or proud, we have replaced that with the phrase love is, love is, that love is. We've exchanged the biblical basis of what love is for the space of what seems fluid in the culture, what, what makes sense in our hearts. We, we've replaced it at our context. If you even ask people, what is love? You're going to get a whole bunch of responses. We are in a love-starved nation, a love-starved world. And because of the confusion, we run after all sorts of things and all sorts of spaces that don't offer love, but actually offer confusion. This morning, I wanted to simply say that God's desire is to break off the confusion when it comes to what is love. Today, we're going to talk about same-sex attraction, homosexuality, that whole, that whole bit. And I, I wanted to say, first and foremost, before we get anywhere, God loves homosexual people, straight people, drunk people, prideful people, Lazy people, whatever it is, God loves people. God did not, it says in Romans 5, 8, it says, God's love showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, God died, Christ died for us. Is the PowerPoint off, Tony? I was trying to make the PowerPoint work. Can I not control it? That Christ died for us. Um, is, it, is it off? Or you don't know? Okay. Um, well, you might just have to take some notes today. So Christ didn't die for a certain type of person. He died for all people. And the church has lost its voice in the gay community because, honestly, we haven't dealt with our own sin. We lose our authority to speak into culture when we don't follow Christ for ourselves. And it doesn't really matter what our particular flavor of sin is. Sin separates us from God. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Now, that's not a very exciting thing to hear, but it's so true. And to say anything different is to cast a lie that things are okay when things are not okay. God loves gay people. 
God loves all people. And you might ask, so why are you beating this drum today? Why are we talking about this today? And I, I, the reason why, partly why we're talking about this is that the whole church has been talking about this forever, and we, the church, have been silent. This world needs to hear what God says about our struggles. We need to know what God's voice is, His direction, His ways. And in the space of His voice is freedom. In the space of His voice is life. In the space of His voice is fulfillment for everything we'd hope for. So I just want everybody to hear first and foremost, this is not a judgment message to say some people are better than others. The truth is when God's Word speaks, it should cut us all. It should be something that cuts off what's dead and exposes what's life and says, walk this way. There is nothing in this message to say anybody is better or worse. We are all in need of a Savior. And there's two things that are needed if we're really going to be what Nick said in the song about running into our city. One, we need love. We need care for people. And we need to run to people and care for them so much we would lay our lives down for them. This is what Christ did for us. But we also need the space of truth, that we would say what's real. And and frankly, folks, if we only have love, we will comfort people, but they will never get freed from the death that sin brings. And they will stay, stay eternally separated from God. Comfort in that space is not love. But if we only bring truth without love, it's like putting a patient on an operating table and saying, hold still while you cut them open with a knife. It's not good enough. There has to be truth and love. You can't bring truth and expect transformation when you don't love the individual. We must only walk this out as we walk in Christ's love towards people. Now, for ourselves, why, why am I also bringing this up for us here today? And it's this, from Psalms 24. And um, Tony, if there's a way to make the PowerPoint work, that'd be really cool. But Psalms 24 says, verse 3, it says, Who can climb the mountain of God? Who can stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. Folks, y'all just got disqualified. None of us get to attend the hill of the Lord. Except that as we enter into Christ and his leadership in our life, he makes us pure because of what he's done. As we identify with him on the cross and say, I'm not the leader of my life, but you are the leader of my life, he transforms our desires and our passions, and he makes us more like him. Who can climb the mountain of God? Only those with clean hands and a pure heart. And can I say this? God's not angry this morning. Did you know the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus? That all the sin of the world was poured out on him on the cross, so much so that in the garden he bled, he sweat drops of blood because he felt the full weight of your sin and my sin. It's paid for as we step in to Christ. I wanted to say this as we stepped into this space, that there's three mistakes that the church is making when it comes to homosexuality or same-sex attraction. And before I want to do this, can we, can we just pray? Because I know this is, a, this is a touchy issue for hearts. God, 
I pray everyone here would have an open heart to hear and receive, that everyone here would sense your love, your favor towards them. Spirit of the living God, would you provoke our hearts with your love and your truth and your goodness? I pray in Jesus' name. All right. Amen. Three mistakes the church is making when it comes to homosexuality or same-sex attraction. Number one, calling homosexuality the greatest sin. It's not. It says in Proverbs 6, 17, it says, There are seven things that God hates. One, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises evil plans, feet that are swift to run in evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. God hates a proud look. I would even argue to say that pride might just be the greatest sin. It says that pride in the Bible says that pride comes before the fall. Pride is what keeps us from turning from our sin to God. It says that in the Bible, it says that God opposes the proud. In fact, the proud becomes the enemies of God. Wow. Pride. The second mistake that the church is making is that we have been often silent. The church being afraid to say anything because we just don't want to be labeled as mean, hateful, racist, intolerant. We're afraid because we want people to like us. Now, there's nothing wrong with people wanting people to like you. But Jesus even said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And it's not that they hate you, it's they're hating what you're saying because what Christ did in the cross and what Christ brought was counter-cultural to how the world is going. And so with this, we're going against and up the stream, and it is saying to everyone as we walk a different way that they're, what they're doing needs to flip the other way around. It is challenging their very way of life, and that's not comfortable. If we follow Jesus, people will have a hard time with us because our lives become a signpost. Walk this way. couple of thoughts on social media. Don't be a jerk. Don't try to win. Be a signpost, a witness of who God is, what he says, and what he has done. But you cannot transform people outside of relationship. I'm all for standing for truth. I'm all for speaking up for what's true, what's factual, what's right. But if your heart is to see transformation, that's only going to happen in relationship. What's that old line? People don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. Do they know how much you care? Or do they just know that you don't like how they live? Third mistake affirming same-sex attraction. I, I think a lot of this has come out of the space where the church has affirmed this in different spaces because we've had maybe less of a fear of God and maybe more of a fear of people. We were nervous about people leaving the church or we're, we're walking in a false sense of comfort and saying, well, maybe, maybe they were just born that way or maybe this is this way, so I, I'm just going to affirm it. But the problem with it is you can't bless what God hasn't blessed. I can't decide something's okay that God said is not okay. It's bottom line, it's not loving to sell somebody something's okay 
when it's not where I'm actually hurting them. Someone might say, if two people love each other, why can't they be together? The reality is God's definition of love and your definition of love are different. God's definition of love is a life laid down, not attraction. And not to mention that, but you say you love God, but you also say you love tacos. Are they the same thing? Jesus said what? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. You'll follow after me. His definition of love is much different than our world's definition of love. We have to be unrelenting in our love for people and unswerving in our dedication to what God says. I love what Peter said when Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, they have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. whole bunch of people leave. Jesus and the 12 disciples are standing there, and Jesus says, are you going to leave too? And Peter's like, I don't really understand this whole eat your flesh, drink your blood thing. Kind of sounds like a vampire. Kind of sounds weird. I don't get it. But where else would we go? You hold the words of life. You spend any amount of time with God, there will be a time where you read God's word. It'll provoke you. It'll hit you. There'll be things that you don't understand, things you don't like, things are hard. But God is getting to my heart and your heart, and he's like, oh, are you willing to follow me regardless? Are you willing to lay aside your preferences, your comfortability? What is easy for you? Are you willing to say, you're God, I'm not. You're in charge, I'm not. If someone was in the middle of the street and they were going to get hit by a car and they said, I'm fine, no problem here, would you warn them or just say, well, they've made their choice? No. We would shout, and if we had to, we would run into the street and push them out of the way of the oncoming car. Why? Because we love. The wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. Do we believe that? That sin equals death? That the gift of God is eternal life? If it's contrary to God's word, God's way, if it's contrary to God's words, it's against his ways and it kills. If something goes according to his word, it brings life. And now, those are the three mistakes, but I also wanted to dig in because there's so much confusion in this topic, and there are people that jump up all the time. In fact, it says in 2 Timothy that in the last days, there will be people that will bring many teachers around them to bring in what their itching ears want to hear, and we're finding this all around the world. There are six passages in the Bible that talk about same-sex attraction and homosexuality, three in the Old Testament, three in the New. And there are other ones that you can pull on, but these are the three that everybody, the six that everybody fights about back and forth. And the first one is this story about Genesis 19. It's the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in this story, these angels come to Lot's house in the city of Sodom, and they come into the house, and there's men on the outside banging on the door and saying, let us in. We want to have sex with these men in your house. And Lot doesn't let them. He does some other things that aren't so cool. But Lot doesn't let them, and, and, and the argument against this story was that, well, the sin of Sodom wasn't actually homosexuality. It was inhospita inhospitality. 
In fact, in Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50, it actually says something to that effect. It actually says that um, it really doesn't work, Tony. The really love to show you guys the slides. But, but it actually says in that passage, it does say the word hospitality in hospitality. That is, that is true. But it also says, if I can read my writing, it's so tiny. There we go. Come on, go back a couple. You can go back to Ezekiel. Is Ezekiel in there? Might be forward a couple guys. But it basically says this. It says in that passage, it says that in hospitality, it talked about. Um, here, why don't you just open up your Bible? Ezekiel 16 49. I just think it's worth reading. Maybe I didn't put it in there. Maybe we all just really needed to read it together. That was the problem with the issue. Verse 49. 1649, it says, and I'm saying this, all these things, guys, because people twist the word of God. And it says this in verse 49, behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She had her daughters had pride, interesting, excess of food and prosperous ease, but they did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. Now, that word abomination is also a key word in this passage and in this thing. And what that basically, that word abomination means, a heightened sin. And that's what that passage is referring to. And I can prove it to you because there's two other passages in the New Testament that talk about that same thing. In Jude 1.7, it speaks of Sodom and Gomorrah and their sins of sexuality, specifically with homosexuality. And also in 2 Peter 2.8, it speaks of their lawless deeds. So in the Ezekiel passage, it references it, but doesn't explicitly say it. And in the New Testament passage, it does say it. It says, this was not okay. And frankly, can we just be honest? Inhospitality was not what happened when those guys were banging on the door. They're banging on the door saying, hey, we want to be with these guys. That's not the sin of inhospitality. I think they had some other plans. The second passage is in um, Leviticus 18, and it says this, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now, like I just said, the word abomination means a heightened sin. Now, someone might say, isn't all sin the same? And, and the answer is actually no, it's not. And, and where do people get this? They get this from James 2.10, which says this, if you've broken a part of the law, you've broken all of the law. But what this verse is simply saying is this, if you've done anything wrong, you're a sinner. That's what it's saying. That's you, that's me, but not all sin costs the same, and I can prove that to you. If today after this, my wife brings Isabella home for a nap, and I'm staying talking with people, and I decide to go home, and I look at the time like, man, I'm late, and I decide to speed all the way home, which I'm working on that. Sometimes I speed too much, and I'm getting better at the speeding. And I go through a red light, two red lights, and I come home, and I say to my wife, Hey, babe, I'm really sorry. I was speeding on the way home. I went through a couple red lights. And she'd be like, what, why, are you, why are you going so fast? You know, let's talk about this. Are you a little anxious? You know, it's okay. You know, I put Isabel down for a nap. It's okay. We'd have a good talk about it, and I'd need to correct my behavior. But, but that's, that's the end of the story. Now, same scenario. Church ends, 
And I'm like, man, I got to go. And I, I get, I'll go speed through the lights. And I, I say to my wife when I get home, hey, babe, I, you know, I, I was racing home. And I just got finished with 10 prostitutes. And then I went through these two different lights. And I was doing some embezzling with money or whatever. And then I came home. How many of you know we would have a much different conversation if I was cheating on my wife and not just breaking a stoplight? See, the reality is sin, it, all sin is wrong, but different sins have different costs attached to them. How can I prove that scripturally? Ba- get this, David and Bathsheba. King David sees a beautiful woman. He ends up um, committing adultery with her. Two people died. Get this, another story? David, God told him explicitly not to count the people of Israel. Why? He didn't want them to put their confidence in how many people they had in their army. He, he said, do not do a census of how many armed forces you have. David disobeys this order. You many people died? 70,000. What's the lesson? God gave him an explicit word, don't do this. He did it anyway, and it was costly. Some sin, all sin costs, but some sin really costs. What this passage in Leviticus is saying is sexual sin is very costly. Another passage, it's Leviticus 20, and Leviticus 18 through 20 speaks about the law. It's it's all about God's law towards people. And in Leviticus 20, verse 13, it says, If a man practices homosexuality, having sex with another man, as with a woman, both men have committed in a despicable act. They must be put to death, for they are guilty of a capital offense. The objection to this is, well, we're not under the law anymore. I don't have to wear a yarmulke. It's okay that I eat shellfish, and I can have mixed fabrics in my clothes. I'm fine. But, but what it's amazing is how people will say, I'm not under the law, but they would still say that it's not okay to murder. And it's amazing, typically when we resist law stuff, it's, it's that we, we probably have a heart issue when it comes to either giving or, or maybe we're struggling with our money or we're struggling with, with how we operate. But God's law applies. And I would even say this, that the law of the Old Testament through Christ actually becomes an even greater thing. For example, in the Old Testament it was don't murder. In the New Testament, Jesus says don't hate. The Old Testament says, don't, don't commit adultery. And the New Testament was, even if you lust, look, lustfully look at a woman, you've committed adultery. And the Old Testament was, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the New Testament is, love your enemy. Don't like tithing? Well, Jesus said, give it all. The reality is simply this. Everything under the law was a limited requirement, but in Christ, it's, much, it's all of the conditions of the heart. God wants it all, every dark area of my heart, every hidden thing. He's like, man, I want you. I want it all. Now, I would say this about some of the Levitical law. Outside of Leviticus 18 through 20, there are some certain verses about diet, wearing of clothes, like I said, tattoos, mixed clothing, all of that stuff. But I would say this, never once in the Old Testament Did God bring judgment on the people of Moab or Greece or wherever because they ate shellfish or they had tattoos? None of that. There was no judgment for any of those things. Those were laws specifically given to Israel 
because he had specifically called them to a specific task in a specific way. God did not put those on the Gentile race. But what he did do is his universal law. That's Leviticus 18 through 20. And in that are things like this. Murder, the treatment of the poor, having right sexuality, dishonoring of others. These are universal laws that God has called all mankind to everywhere. I really like pizza. If I was Jewish in the Old Testament, I couldn't have it. Praise God, I get to have pizza. But that is the difference with that passage. Now, those are the three in the Old. You got the two Leviticus ones. You got the Genesis ones. There's three in the New Testament as well. And the first one is Romans chapter 1, verse 26. And it says this. For this reason, God gave them up to a dishonorable passions. And what was the reason? They didn't honor God. They didn't consider God worthwhile of their attention. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Sin hurts us. The objection that people might say to this is, well, it's only a shameful act if you aren't lusting for someone um, if you're a committed relationship with them, then it's not sin. If it's a same-sex relationship and we're of this, you know, we're committed to each other, it's okay. Therefore, it's not sin. But the problem is the Bible doesn't say that. There actually isn't one reference in the Bible that condones sexuality or homosexuality. And they would say, well, show me a verse where Jesus says it was wrong. And I would point you to this. Jesus spoke of marriage and defined it as one man and one woman in a committed covenant relationship. He spoke about creation and the order and how he made all things. In no way, anywhere did he affirm same-sex attraction, period. In fact, I would say this to anyone struggling or wondering if the Bible affirms this topic. I would say this. Give me one verse, just one, just one, where the Bible says it's okay. Just give me one verse where it's a, a positive thing, where someone wasn't hurt or wasn't bad. Give me, just, give me just one. You won't find it anywhere. But what you will find is 31,000 verses in the Bible affirming marriage between a man and a woman. 31,000. God loves marriage. Can I get an amen, Kat? Another objection is that from this Romans passage, they would say, well, it's, this is just talking about it being unnatural. That they're having unnatural desire, but I was born this way. It's natural for me. It's how I was created. But, folks, the problem with that is I look at Jeremy Schwader, and I was born selfish. I was born with predispositions to all sorts of different sins, that things that are easy for me to do. And folks, we don't get to pick how we're tempted. We all get tempted in various ways, and it all seems very natural. But God's calling you and I higher to His ways, not my ways, not your ways, His ways. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life. 
And everybody I know that has ever walked in a homosexual or same-sex attraction lifestyle, I have seen frustration, I have seen pain, and I've always seen this sense of I'm trying for something more, but never quite arriving at it. We don't live by our preferences. We live to his order. And there's the 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 passage. It says this in this passage. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Hello. It's kind of a big deal. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Those that cheat people? And the objection to this was, actually, it's interesting, the word homosexual, it says male prostitutes or practice homosexuality. Did you know that it was added into the NIV in 1946? They actually added that word in there. And they say, oh, you guys changed it. The Bible actually didn't say that before 1946. Well, yeah. And you know why? The word homosexual wasn't even invented until the 1880s. So they didn't even have the word to put it in there. But the concept was there. There's two Greek words that are in this text, and it's this, malakos and archomonades, I can't say it correctly. And it means the man that penetrates another man. The concept's exactly the same, just the word wasn't invented until 1880, and then they finally put it in the translation to reflect the English language. The concept was there all along. And then the last one comes from 1 Timothy. And this focus of this passage is on false teaching. I said this earlier, but in 2 Timothy 4, 3, it says this. For the time is coming when men will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears, will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And folks, we got teachers everywhere. On Facebook, down everywhere. You can find a teacher anywhere who will say everything. But folks, it is so clear. And the 1 Timothy 1, 7 through 10 it clearly says again, homosexuality, not okay. Now, why am I beating this drum so hard? Why? Because it's such a value in our culture. And it is not bringing life. It is not bringing freedom. It's bringing death and confusion. Folks, we have such a confused culture. And part of that is because identity does not come from me or from you. I don't decide who I am. God says who I am. I love the story of Ruth. You know the story of Ruth? There's this lady named Naomi. Naomi loses her husband. She loses her two sons. And in the place, there's this famine. She comes back into Israel. She comes back into her hometown with her daughter-in-law, no husband, no sons. And the people greet her and say, Naomi, it's good to see you. Which I think the name of Naomi means pleasant one. Naomi said this, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, for my life is bitter. Every time in the Bible where someone decides to rename themselves, it never works out for their good. But in the process of that, God started to restore. God started to work. God started to do a thing in her heart. 
And in the end, she receives an inheritance through her her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and her life starts to be restored, and the smile and the joy starts coming back into her life, and she says, you can call me Naomi again. You guys, our world is filled with people that would say, don't call me Pleasant anymore. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because my life is bitter. I don't care. I'm changing my identity. I'm changing who I am. I am not this way. We're listening. Raquel and I were listening to a, a guy speak a while ago. His name was Andy. And he was definitely in the camp where he felt like God, that he was born that way, that this is who he was. And he got up on a, he was, he was rejected in the church. He felt like alone. He, his life was definitely bitter. And he moved to Texas and he screamed out at God and he said, God, why did you make me like this? And he actually heard the audible voice of God say, no, I did not. Our Heavenly Father is a Father who wants to speak identity over you and over me. He cares about where you're going. He cares about who you are. He has words to say about what's up with you. And He is the one that defines us. The Bible is clear. And the folks, we are so confused. And what? why are we so confused? I can tell you why. Satan the father of lies, the author of confusion has been doing overtime on every single person in this room and everyone in our culture, spending his time accusing and confusing. Accusing and confusing. All the way back in Genesis, he went up to Eve, and she even said to Eve, did God really say? And all along, we question God's word. We question God's promise. We question who we are, all of it. And all of it needs to stop and coming back to the simple place of who is God and what has he said about himself, this world, and how we should live. Hey, Nick, can you pop on the guitar? We say we love those around us, but do we ignore their violent temper or how they treat their spouse or the fact that they're living with their girlfriend? Maybe we're not walking in love. We say we want to live God's way, but we're up at one in the morning looking at things on the computer that we shouldn't look at. We're drinking a little bit too much, but we think it's, say it's okay. We freely gossip, gossip or treat are cheating God, and we say, well, God will forgive. And God says, oh, Jeremy, I've called you to a higher way. The wages of sin is death. How many dead dreams? How many empty bank accounts? How many broken relationships? How many lies extinguished too quickly? All because we buy into the lie, this will make me happy. This is the better way. And all the while, the Spirit of God quietly whispers into every person's heart, I have a better way. I have something better for you. Look up. 
I have not come to condemn you, but to free you. I have not come to curse you. I have come to call you forth. Come on, let's go. Let's get up to the higher ways. Let's stop playing around in the mud and stand up and take a walk up the mountain. Come on. Come on. You might say, man, I'm struggling. I I don't know how I'm ever going to overcome this. God simply said, my grace is sufficient for you today. And tomorrow we wake up and we say, God, your grace is sufficient for me today. We wake up the next day, okay, today. His strength is made perfect in our weakness today. I mentioned earlier that there isn't one scripture in the Bible that affirms same-sex attraction. Over 31,000 verses that affirm marriage, covenant between a man and woman. But there is another book that does affirm it. In fact, there's actually five verses in this book that affirm homosexual practice, and that's the Satanic Bible. Folks, it's a problem when (laughs) my theology lines up more with the Satanic Bible than with God's Bible. I'm challenging our culture. Come on, would you challenge it with me? I'm challenging a a mode of saying it's okay how we live. Live and let live. No, no. Live, let's come. Christ is life. Let's walk this way. If we love our friends, we'll say, come on. Wednesday night, there was a a, a small crew of folks that came out, and we had our Wednesday night prayer meeting. That was from 6 to 7, and then afterwards they went out on the streets and to share the gospel with people. And I think uh, Jason was out there. I think they were out there till like, he was out there till like midnight. Bless you, Cara. <laughs> but how many people don't know if you'd ask them, hey, what's love? For this is love. Not that man loved God, right? But that he loved us and gave himself up for us. To free Jeremy Schwader from all his silly ways that we would be stripped of all of the silliness, all of the heaviness that comes on our life, that we'd be set free into his righteousness. He wants to put a robe of righteousness around us and put a signet ring on our finger. He wants us to come into the house and say, you're a son, you're a daughter, join me. We are all sinners. Same-sex attraction isn't the worst sin of all. Pride is, and pride says, I'm not going to change I don't get to pick what I struggle with, but I sure get to pick who I rely on. We're all born into sin, and sin separates us from God, period. But I love what 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. Let me say that again. You were made holy. No blemish. That's you. You put your trust in Christ. You have been made holy. You've been made right before God. By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God, you were cleansed. That is our inheritance today. That is what we stand on. The past doesn't hold me. My future is His. I stand cleansed, pure. Don't believe the lie and don't walk in the lie. Get out of the lie and recognize who you are. Let's go. Let's get out of the mud. Let's go. 
So today I want to call all sinners. Don't make me point at you. I love this passage. Isaiah 6, I think I think about this passage almost more than anything. Um, the prophet Isaiah gets caught up in a vision before God, and he says, I saw the Lord. In the, in the year that King Uzziah died, the king, the one that they had all these hopes in, he dies. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled his temple. And there's these creatures all around him crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Guess what? When we enter into him and we take on the identity of Christ, we say, I put my trust in you and I start walking towards that throne, those creatures are still crying out, holy, holy, holy. And in another passage in the Bible, it says this, that we might share in his holiness. He wants you and I to share. And as we gaze on him and we approach the throne and we hear the creatures cry, holy, holy, holy. He transforms us. And Isaiah says, whoa, I'm, I'm blown it. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And I just saw God. I'm in trouble. But he comes to cleanse us. To the person struggling with pornography, I say there is cleansing for you. To the person struggling with same-sex attraction, I say there is cleansing for you. To the person tempted as a businessman and you're tra traveling, I say there is cleansing for you. To the person who sneaks that late-night drink, I say there is cleansing for you. To the person that has a habit of gossiping and bringing up the dirt on others, I want to say there is cleansing for you. For the person having sex with their girlfriend, I want to say there's cleansing for you. God's called us higher. So what do we do from here? I'm going to ask you a really practical question. What does your spiritual diet of intake look like? What do you take into your heart? What do you take into your mind? What would your body look like if, if it reflected your spiritual diet? Would you be nourished? Would you be starving? Folks, all across the church of Christ, we are anemic and starving and clinging on to one-liners that maybe some preacher said somewhere. But God is calling us to get into his word, to hear what he says. Can I tell you, there's strength as you dig into God's word and you dig into worship. You start to hear his voice. You say, man, God doesn't talk to me. Yeah, he is. He's talking the whole time. You just can't hear him because there's so many other voices. <laughs> if you got an iPhone today, I want to challenge you to do something. It's kind of interesting. I've never done this before. Maybe Android has this too, but in settings, there's a thing called screen time. Click on your screen time. Click on your see all your activity. Where do you spend your time? Could it be that there would be an app that you could take and say, you know what, I'm not going to spend 15 hours on Facebook this week or Instagram. I'm going to give that to God, and I'm going to use that exact same amount of time that I was watching movies or doing whatever. I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to, Instead, read God's word. Sit quietly before him and say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. 
He's calling you higher. Hey, put a hand on your heart. God, I just want to say thank you. Oh, God, thank you for your patience with us. Each one of us in this room so needs your touch on our heart, on our mind. You love us. When we were your enemies, you loved us. How much more do you love us when we say we want to live for you? God, I pray today that the confusion with same-sex attraction will be dealt with in our church, in our city. We pray that the identity that you call the people would be so clear over every heart. And God, for every person in here struggling in any space of sin, Lord, I, I pray a deep hunger for your word and your presence to strike their heart today. We love you, Jesus. God, have your way in me. And pray that all in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.